I'm Erin Wilson, and you are listening to Inside NC Labor, a podcast designed to inform and educate North Carolina citizens on the role that the Department of Labor plays in state government. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's edition of Inside NC Labor. I am Jennifer Haywood, Communications Director for the Department, and I'm here with my colleague, John. Hi, good morning. I'm John Mallow, also a PIO, Public Information Officer here at the North Carolina Department of Labor. Thanks, John. Uh, We are so happy to have as our guest today, William Geringer, who has been our longtime bureau chief of the Mine Inquiry Bureau. Uh, This is sort of a bittersweet one for us because we're telling William goodbye as he um, congratulate him on his uh, retirement and his next steps in life. So, William, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, thank you for allowing me to be here. We are really glad to hear what you have to say today, but why don't you just start off by introducing yourself to our audience. Um, Where are you from? Where did you go to school? What has your work been like here at the department? Okay, sure. Yeah, I was born just a few years ago uh, back in Greensboro, North Carolina. (laughs) And my growing up days, uh, the majority of those were spent in the Whisset and Gibsonville area. As a matter of fact, I uh, uh, graduated at uh, Gibsonville High School, which is no longer uh, a high school. It's, uh, they rezoned to Eastern Guilford. Uh, but that was where I spent most of my upbringing. And then uh, after high school, spent a few years in the military. And then after the military, uh, went to work with a lumber company. Unfortunately, the lumber company was kind of uh, struggling. You know, uh, business was, you know, uh, was kind of tough uh, at that point in time. So, um, uh, I had heard about a brand new rock quarry uh, that was getting ready to open up in our county. As a matter of fact, the uh, unemployment office folks uh, had informed me about it, and so I went over there and applied, and actually uh, uh, they hired me as a waymaster. That's how I got my start in mining. You know, from there I was with them for about ten and a half years, and then. Uh, now, what is a waymaster? A waymaster is where you take in or weigh in the trucks out. You know, the, 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 the customer trucks are coming on to the site, they're getting loaded their stone, their product, and then they come across the scales, and you weigh the truck as it comes across the scales, and then you print out their ticket, and you know, with, with all the pertinent information, and, uh, and then they proceed on to the construction job or to their customer, okay? Uh, going back to my upbringing, though, I also wanted to mention, too, after the, uh, the few years in the military, um, I went to Alamance Community College uh, for a couple of years, and then, you know, at that point, uh, Martin Marietta had put me in their uh, management training program. I was working with them. I started out as a waymaster, and uh, you got to remember, I was a little bit younger and a little bit ambitious, you know, back at that point in time, and even though I enjoyed weighing trucks out, uh, I was kind of wanting to, you know, see what the chances were to work my way up, you know, through the company. So I kind of brought that to their attention, and I said, look, if y'all think it might be a good fit for you folks, I don't mind getting out of the office and getting out there at the plant and, uh, you know, in the pit and all that and start learning the production end of things. And at that point in time, they said, okay, big boy, we'll take you up on that. <laughs> and, they, and they did. Uh, they, uh, they, that's when they put me in the management training program, and I started going out there and running equipment. 
I got involved with the blasting, got involved with running the samples, you know, the, on, uh, you know running samples on the material that we produced, and um, started um, supervising responsibilities and things of that nature. Okay. I do have a question going way back. What, what branch of the military were you in, and what did you do? Yeah, I was in the Air Force. Uh, started out as a Morse code operator. Okay, now in today's world, uh, Morse code has just about gone away. Uh, I, I think maybe your ham operators still use it and, you know, in, in minimal situations. But, uh, uh, but when I was in the Air Force, uh, when I got through boot camp, they put me in the administrative field and uh, uh, trained me to be a Morse code operator, which at, uh, I went to Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi for my tech training. The tech school training, and then they sent me over to San Vito Air Station over in Italy. Wow. And I spent uh, about two, two and a half years there as a Morse code operator. Uh, after that, I uh, came back stateside, cross-trained over to another field in the administrative end to finish out my term, and, um, and then after six years, that's when I, when I got out. Really interesting. You yep. have quite an interesting background. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, uh, um, I guess you could say that for sure. Uh, definitely had its uh, opportunities and stuff, and but I certainly cherish the opportunities as well, you know. All right, so, uh, William, before coming to the Department of Labor, you kind of gave us your background of mm -hmm. military, working with a mining company, and so what, after that, led you into... Uh, working with the North Carolina state government. Well, to be quite frank with you, um, you know, when they when Martin put me in the in the production end of things, um, safety got my attention, uh, big time, more so than being in the office. Of course, I mean, in the office, you're weighing out the trucks, you're doing the administrative duties, and you know, paying the invoices out and stuff, you know, things of that nature. When I got out there in the production end of thing, I really, you know, took hold of the safety and health aspect of you know of the mining. Uh, community as well. A few years later, you know, after being in the in the management training program and whatnot, Martin sent me. They actually sent me to the NCDOL, uh, what we call the instructor trainer class. And now back then, now you know, we're talking, you know, uh, you know, mid nineties uh, in, in that neighborhood. Uh, the, the instructor class that the NCDOL folks did was a two week class, and it was done up in Silva. North Carolina. So they sent me up there to where I could become a MSHA approved instructor. That was the whole intent. And that way I could do training there at our, you know, at our various quarries, you know, through, you know, in the area. So I went to the NCDOL school and, and like I said, it was a two-week school. And it was very interesting because the first week is where you actually uh, cover the safety and health regulations, the Mine Act itself, the Federal Mine Safety and Health Act. MSHA, you know, and who they are, you know, Mine Safety and Health Administration, who they are and what they're, they're about and all that. Basically the law stuff, okay? And then the second week of the two-week school is where we focused on our presentations. You had to do a 15-minute micro tra uh, teaching session, okay, and, uh, you know, be able to develop an outline, a lesson plan, do your micro uh, uh, teaching uh, session uh, to meet the criteria of an MSHA-approved instructor. Well, that two weeks of the instructor class really got my really got my attention when it came to mine safety and health, 
And so, uh, I mean, that really got me fired up, you know. I mean, I'm like, hey, I might have just figured out what I wanted to be when I grow up, you know, like safety guy, you know, trainer, stuff like that. So, anyhow, uh, going back to Martin and after that instructor class, and I did get approved. Uh, I passed the criteria and whatnot and got my, what we call our MC Blue card. And so I started doing uh, a lot of the uh, new hire training uh, there at our site and some of the refresher. Um, uh, and then uh, a little bit later on, uh, one of the state guys uh, that worked with NCDOL made me aware of a job opening uh, that they had. And uh, it wasn't like I was really looking or anything like that, but I guess we all have our eyes and ears open, you know, uh, when it comes to an opportunity to maybe enhance your career and stuff like that. So long story longer, as I like to say. <laughs> Uh, I applied. I said, you know, I'm like, well, the worst that could happen is I'd be applying and they don't even call me for an interview, you know. So I applied, and uh, sure enough, I got a phone call later on uh, to come to Raleigh for an interview, and yeah, I was happy to do that. And I felt like the interview went well. And then uh, the very next day, they gave me a call and offered me the job. And uh, I accepted it. And, uh, you know, after that, finished out with Martin a couple of weeks and then came to work here December 1 of 1998. And the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> Just to touch more back on before you came into the Department of Labor, were you noticing things that you saw that you felt, oh, this stuff is unsafe, maybe there's a place where I could, you know, I want to make things better like this, yeah. I want to protect, you know, the people that I'm working with and I yeah. have a connection to these guys. We're all on the same team here, and I want to make sure that everybody goes home safe every day and in one piece. Absolutely, and you got to kind of picture this here a little bit too. Now, when we're talking about that time frame, you know, again, early 90s, mid-90s, somewhere in there, the way we do things back then in comparison to what, the way we do things now, and I think it's fair to say that in mining and construction, general industry, the whole nine yards, you know, back then, safety, I hate to say it, but safety took a back seat where today uh, that's not so much the case I mean you know uh, but yeah I mean I really felt like that I could make a big impact uh, on our safety and health program at the company and whatnot um, and certainly uh, you know try to incorporate some of that in some of the training that we did and you know a lot of times when we did our training we would discuss accidents we would discuss hazards and inspections you know and things of that nature and what can we learn from it? How can we make it applicable to us and, you know, minimize the risk of people getting hurt? You know, I mean, really, bottom line, that's what you, what I really tried to focus on. Well, that's a really great segue into the work of the Mine Inquiry mm -hmm. Bureau and what the mission is of your yeah. group. Um, tell our listeners, what um, what is the role of your group? Well, under the North Carolina uh, Mine Act, uh, you go back to 1975, we are charged uh, with a variety of services, okay? But what we really focus on, and we do this through our federal grant, is uh, being able to go out there and to um, develop and, and conduct expanded training programs, okay, that we take to the mine operations and to independent contractors for educational purposes, training purposes, uh, technical assistance, okay, for the mine operators and the independent contractors because we want them to feel comfortable when it comes to recognizing hazards, you know, avoiding them. Uh, also, you know, 
be aware of unsafe and unhelpful conditions and then be proactive to get those corrected and again to at least get it minimized I think we all know and understand you're not going to eliminate every single hazard out there but if we can at least get them minimized you know to where okay well all right we've got this particular guard okay we've got to minimize let's just make sure nobody goes and tries to stick their hand in there or you know a finger or something like that because uh again we certainly don't want nobody having an accident no absolutely not <laughs> to me i mean you know by you know and it doesn't matter whether it's at a mine site construction job general industry i always like to re-emphasize to everybody there's absolutely nothing out there worth getting hurt over that's the truth and that's uh you know that's the logic i try to use that's the truth whether yeah. you're at work or at home right no matter what you're doing oh absolutely life. absolutely yeah and see that's one good thing about the part of the training that we do you know sometimes you can apply it to both absolutely first aid being one i mean the good thing about first aid training is you can use it anywhere and everywhere you know well you know what william that just reminds me <laughs> i hadn't thought about this in a long time but you taught me my first cpr class okay yeah, I, yeah. I, that was years ago yeah wow I still remember some of that stuff. Please yep. don't, please don't have a medical emergency because I'm not <laughs> sure that I want to test out those skills right now. But I do remember that. I completely understand, though. but yeah, you know, we, we I, I enjoy doing those type of uh, classes as well. I mean, you know, first aid was a it was required anyway. You know, working at a mine site, and so that was part of the mandated training that we had to do. Mm -hmm. So um, good to know. You know. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. And one other, one other little thing I'll say about first aid, just for the benefit of our listeners, even though you've never taken a first aid class before or maybe you've never had CPR, if you've got a smartphone or an iPhone, uh, go to your app store and just key in, do a search on EMR guide. Okay, that, that's the acronym for Emergency Medical Response Guide. Put it on your phone. Don't cost you a penny. And then that way, if you ever run across a first aid situation, they've got just about every topic you can think of on there that you can go and make a quick reference and maybe get some direction on it if you needed it. That's a great tip. So, uh, again, the, the, the price is right. You can't beat it. <laughs> Free. Yeah. Uh, so, in your 24 years here at the Department of Labor, what has been your favorite part of working here? What have you enjoyed most? The people. Absolutely, uh, no doubt about it. The people, both on the department level and out there in the industry, uh, I have been very fortunate, very blessed, uh, and very grateful for the opportunities that I've had to work with a variety of people and their backgrounds. Whether it's a trade association, whether it's a legislator, okay, or you know even the the sweeper at the shop. I mean, that's my passion. You know, being a people person. I mean, you know, that's where. You might can you know make an impact, and just feel like that um, you know that that has been to me my rewarding point, if you will. I mean, in other words, what did I get out of my 23, 24 years doing this is working with the people that, uh, that I've had the opportunity to work with. That and, and like I said, uh, you know, I've been fortunate. You know, we've had uh, here in North Carolina, we have the North Carolina Agri's Association. They allow NCDOL to serve on their safety and health committee, which I've done that. Um, I've also served as president of the home, the National Home Safety Association, served a two-year term with them. That's a national program, you know, and, uh, you know, having the opportunity to serve as president. And a lot of folks don't know, and I'll keep this brief, but Joseph A. Holmes is who the association was named after. 
and he was born right here in North Carolina. He was he served on the North Carolina Geological uh, Society, and he was real big on mine rescue. Now back then, North Carolina had underground mines too. Now today we do not. Okay, but back then we had underground mines, and he was real big on mine rescue and first aid and things of that nature, and uh, uh, so much so that he got national recognition for the efforts and the work that he put into it and uh, you know the the mining industry as a whole saw the need to, to continue on with his legacy so uh, a very active national organization and a good story for North Carolina absolutely and I will echo what you said previously about um, you know this has been a great place to work mm -hmm. full of great people yeah um, and you know that's that's what makes or breaks a job I think is the people that you get to come to work with every day absolutely and I have been very fortunate to come to work with you every day for a lot of years <laughs> yep same here I genuinely genuinely believe that nothing worth doing is without challenge right so I'm sure that you've had your challenging moments here yep. what would you say has been your biggest challenge well you know I you, you know, when it comes to challenges, well, I mean, you know, when you're working with government, I guess there's always challenges and opportunities, okay? I, I would say the toughest challenge um, was, I'm going to go back now, you know, here again, uh, as my position as the director of the Mining Quarry Bureau, I mean, you know, you have a state budget, you have a, you have a federal budget, okay? And Jennifer, you know, we, we've had to... Uh, address some you know concerns with with the state budget as far as cuts and you know uh riffs and things of that nature uh and we got through that but my biggest challenge me as a an employee of the north carolina department of labor mining quarry bureau again i go back to the national level when the u.s department of labor was uh put in their uh in, in their uh in their budget uh uh, language that they wanted to defund the state grants program okay the entire program obviously that got our attention and we knew that we were going to be in for a fight basically okay and again just to keep this simple and and you know as I like to say long story longer uh, myself which I'm, I represented I, I was the sole representative of the metal non-metal industry um, which in North Carolina, again, that's all we have. We don't have any coal mines. We, we don't have any underground mining in North Carolina currently. Um, but it was myself, and then we had representatives from Virginia, Kentucky, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, which you think about it, all four of those are big coal states, okay? So at any rate, we, get, you know, we go back and we get our information compiled because we know we're in for a fight, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, as far as, you know, hanging on to the program. So we all get our information uh, together and whatnot, and through the Interstate Mining Compact Commission, which North Carolina uh, is also a member of, and, th and through their director, we uh, set up meetings with some congressional elected, you know, some congressional members up in D.C. and some staff, and we went up there, basically stated our case. As a matter of fact, there's language in the Federal Mine Safety and Health Act that says that the state grants program is to be funded $10.5 million on an annual basis, okay? Uh, so we pointed that out. We pointed out, okay, here's the impact that this is going to have on the mining industry if the program is defunded and so on and so forth. And I must admit, we really got their attention. And I'm going to knock on wood. 
Now, y'all can't say, see this, but I'm knocking on my head here, okay? <laughs> but knock on wood, ever since that particular year when we went up there and had that, those meetings with uh, some con congressional members and their staff, we have not had no more problem with getting our federal dollars. But that was a tough challenge. I mean, it, it resulted in a lot of sleepless nights, as you can imagine. And, uh, and again, we had to go back and really scrounge and, you know, get our numbers together and do our research and, and whatnot. And I will say, too, to go with a lot of that, we had some strong backing from the mining industry as well. Well, that's always helpful. Yes, it is. Um, I like to think here in North Carolina, we've developed a, a very strong bond uh, with, with with our industry here in North Carolina, and I tell you what, I was uh, I'm a strong believer that it takes two to tango, and in this case, <laughs> it certainly does. I mean, you know, it's really good when the both of you can get on the same page. You know, from the government end of things and on the other side of the fence, as far as being an industry member. You know, it's fairly so, miraculous, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to answer your question, to me, uh, by far, that was my biggest challenge, okay. or our biggest challenge as a, as a bureau. That does sound like you've had quite a major impact during your uh, tenure yes, sir. here at the Department mm -hmm. of Labor. Uh, now that you're getting ready to retire, uh, how do you feel about that? And uh, do you have any plans, any things, you're, any hobbies you're going to take up when you have all this free time? You're gonna. I know before we began recording, you mentioned that you used to do an uh, internet radio show, which mm -hmm. I guess pretty much is a podcast right? Uh, with a music-related uh, kind of thing. So think about maybe taking that back up or some some form of that yeah that's very possible uh as you mentioned yes i um uh, there at one time i was doing a uh an internet radio show on sunday nights uh it was a bluegrass show called tobacco road bluegrass it was a three-hour program and um focusing on a lot of our bands and artists here in north carolina but also would uh, uh throw in some that you know some well-known national uh uh, musicians as well and uh, it was a lot of fun did a lot of interviews and uh, uh, that gave me opportunity to attend a lot of festivals and even MC some festivals things of that nature so uh, yeah uh, the, the station manager said when I get ready to come back that they'll be glad uh, you know to, to uh, make room uh, I'm still torn with that idea very well may happen how I feel about me retirement to be honest with you I have mixed feelings about it I am going to miss a lot of the folks that I deal with, uh, or work with, I should say. Uh, I'm going to miss the on-site classes that I do, and you know, again, opportunity to work with you know folks of that nature. Um, I hope to somehow or another be able to continue to stay involved with mine safety and health. Uh, where that may go, I don't know, but uh, I'm certainly going to stay on top of it. I'm not going to be the guy on the couch potato or on the couch and. You're not going to hear any more from me after a month or two, you know, nothing like that. Uh, so I, I do want to stay active with mind, safety, and health. But also, too, on the top of the list, I got about a year's worth of uh, honeydew stuff uh, that my wife has compiled for me. So <laughs> that'll probably be my first priority, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> you're you're going to be busy one way or another. Exactly. But I also yeah. just can't see you going away from this industry entirely. Right. And I, I know that... Uh, I know that you all have an annual conference coming yeah. up in September, and I guess yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see you there if you made an appearance. Yeah, you know, i, I got to say I, I love our industry. I love mining. I, I love what it stands for, and I'm proud of our industry. Uh, again, you know, going back, we've come a long way through the years. Uh, we all still have room to improve when it comes to safety and health. 
you know, no doubt about that. But, um, um, you know, I just hope we can continue to flourish, if you will, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I like for companies to be successful. Uh, you know, I say to people, we like zeros. You know, right. zero fatals, zero accidents, zero incident rates, zero citations, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, you know, really, I, I'm one of these folks, I hate numbers, but I, know, I do like the number zero. <laughs> I, I like to be able to contribute to help folks get to that number, you know. So, uh, yeah, maybe at the conference, I uh, might swing by there and, you know, say hello and things of that nature. Um, well, we're going to do a podcast down there. And so if you, if we would love to have you as a special guest on that episode. So. Oh, okay. All right. Um, well, William, you're... You're leaving the Bureau and the department in, in a really, really good place. Um, you have really um, set a standard um, that's extremely high uh, for our staff and, and for the industry. We can't really replace you, but someone will be coming in to take over as, as Bureau Chief. What, what's your kind of best piece of advice for whoever that person is? That's a good question. Um, but here's what I would offer you know if they if they was asked my advice um as far as you know moving forward you know as far as directing the, the bureau i would just say two things number one people first um you ever i'm, I'm sure y'all go down the interstate and you see all these work trucks you know safety first and uh safety is my priority and you know things of that nature but yet that's the individual that's flying by you doing 80 85 miles an hour right okay <laughs> I look at it as, you know, from the management, if you will, or from the supervisory position, if you will, if you take care of your people, I feel like for the most part, the rest of it will fall into place, okay? And also, too, you know, the mining industry is a unique industry, and I, I just, uh, I would hope that the, the, the next director is going to have a good background of mining because I think that helps them understand the need of the industry when it comes to safety and health, okay? Again, bottom line, I would say people first. And then the, the, the second part of that would be to have open ears, you know, listen. Um, a lot of folks, I mean, they want to contribute, but they feel like, well, they, can, they, they may have a couple of suggestions and whatnot, but it goes through one ear and right out the other. I try to avoid you know that that part of it i i'm interested in feedback i'm interested in input and you know what is it can we do to to improve our team and best work practices you know and uh, again to minimize those accidents and uh incidents and things of that nature so people first and listen is what i would was would be what i would offer both of those both of those pieces of advice are excellent and again not just for your professional life, but also your personal life. Putting yep. other people first and listening more than you talk. Yeah. Uh, two, two very important pieces of advice yeah. for living your life. Well, William, we can't we can't thank you enough for being our guest today and just sharing a little bit about yourself and your heart and your and your work here with with labor. And is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we close? I got one little story I'd like to share with sure. you that, that actually happened at one of the mining operations and going back to first aid, okay? And here's how training can have an impact on the people you're working with. I was actually in the eastern part of the state. I was at a mining operation, and I, we were actually doing a first aid training class, okay? Now, this is a little mid-sized type operation. Uh, what I'm saying by mid-sized, 
I think there was about 15 people on the payroll. And out of the 15, 13 were in the first aid class. The only two that were not in the class was the scale clerk that was weighing out the trucks and then the, the uh, loader operator that was loading customer trucks. Everybody else was in my first aid class. Well, since we was doing first aid training, the plant manager wanted to take and bring in a caterer to, to you know, cater lunch in and have a little safety lunch, you know, and incorporate that in with the training, which, you know, uh, that's pretty common. Nothing unusual there. Well, the training is going fairly good, and we're getting close to around lunchtime, okay, around 11.30 or so. And it just so happened, I noticed in the back of the room, uh, a guy, he was getting a little bit antsy, a little, appeared to be a little fidgety and whatnot. I didn't know what was going on, but anyhow, uh, he, he wound up getting up out of his seat and, you know, walked out the door, and I'm like, well, okay, we're getting close to lunchtime anyway, no big deal, okay? We're just maybe not even a minute after that his buddy that was sitting there next to him he also gets up out of his chair follows the guy out and i'm like well i wonder what's going on here am i getting that dry or what you know <laughs> with my class at any rate i look out the window and i saw the first guy that got out of his chair and you know and left the room i actually saw him fall down to the ground okay and i'm like Hey guys, we got, you know, something's going on out here. Uh, you know, I don't know what's happening, but we apparently got a problem. So we all go outside. Now it was a hot day too, okay, middle of the summertime. And so the plant manager goes to his work truck, gets on the CB radio and calls the office and tells the office to call 911, okay? In the meantime, uh, the guy's buddy that followed him out, uh, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm out there at him just trying to talk to him a little bit, try to, you know, just try to assess, you know, what's going on. And his buddy told me, he said, look, you might want to give him a little bit of Coca-Cola. Okay? So I'm elevating his head, and I got a Coca-Cola in my hand. I'm giving him small sips of Coca-Cola. Okay? All right, and I'm continuing to do so, and the guy, you know, he, he, he appears to gradually start coming back a little bit. Okay? Well, 13 minutes later, after the 911 call, the EMTs show up, and they're coming down there where we are, and as we're always trained, when the EMTs show up, we're going to get the heck out of their way and let them do what they need to do, right? At any rate, the EMTs, they take his vitals and all this kind of stuff, and basically what it boils down to is everything's starting to level off, okay? And the EMTs say, look, if, if you guys take, a, and fi you know, take and fix this guy you know, a plate of food, because remember now, we had food catered in. Fix him a plate of food, let him go back inside there in the training room where it's cool and whatnot. He should be okay. We don't see no point in taking him to the emergency room or nothing. Okay, fine, sounds good. So we fix him a plate of food. He goes in, eats, and he even finished out the training class. Well, you might say, well, what's the takeaway here? Well, we found out that the guy had uh, um, a history of diabetes, okay? And we also later found out that he had taken his insulin that morning, but he did not eat. And the reason he did not eat was because he was going to wait till the big feast at lunchtime <laughs> to eat. Okay? Bottom line, what happened, because he decided to do that, he wound up having a sugar offset. And to get him, you know, to get him back to, you know, his normal state of mind, if you will, that's why we wound up giving him slow sips of, uh, of Coca-Cola because of the sugar product, okay? Now, the takeaway from all this is, you know, not everybody's immune system is the same, okay? Um, you know, you got folks that have allergies. Uh, you have folks that may carry an auto-injector or an EpiPen, 
you may have folks that has a history of diabetes and all that. So after lunch and whatnot, we, we kind of, you know, again, had another little meeting within the safety training. And bottom line, what we tried to emphasize was that, look, if you got an allergic situation, in other words, you might, you know, if you got food allergies or, you know, you're allergic to bee stings or, you know, maybe you got heart medication in your pocket. Let somebody know about it. So that way, if you got a problem, they know what to do to help you out. Okay? Now, granted, I know we don't want to share all of our medical issues. Okay? And I guess by HIPAA, you don't have to. But again, I mean, you know, if you got something that could lead into something that could get serious, uh, tell somebody. And that was really the whole takeaway here because, you know, I, I've been in a class where I've had a guy, he took an EpiPen out of his pocket. And he showed it to everybody, and he said, look, it don't matter if it's January and I'm in Alaska or if it's July and I'm in Hawaii. He said, this EpiPen goes with me everywhere I go because his, uh, his uh, uh, allergy to a bee sting is so severe, the doctor told him he's got like 30 seconds to get that injection going. Now, why did he show everybody that he had that EpiPen? To let them know if he gets stung by a bee, he's got this. Feel free to help him out to get the injection going. So, uh, you know... In that particular case that I just telling y'all about with the, the diabetic there, that's a case where we had a real hands-on training session <laughs> going on during a first aid training class. So I wanted to share that story. I mean, uh, you know, people, I mean, and, and I, you know, I've been to all kinds of uh, different uh, gatherings, you know, uh, whether safety awards or company go a million man hours without a lost time accident, and they have a little celebration at their site and stuff like that. But one thing that really sticks out is this a situation like this where we really learned something um, while we were doing training, you know, so. Well, and that's invaluable, and I'm really glad that that person was okay. Yeah. And yeah. that is a good reminder. Believe yeah. me, if I have some sort of medical condition, I'm right. going to let you all know right. right. <laughs> so that you right. can help me. Right. Um, William, you've shared so much great information today. Thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss my colleagues. That's for sure. We will miss you, and thank you for everything you've done. Thank it's you. Been a very interesting conversation. Very, yeah. in, uh, very informative, and nice to learn some stuff about you as you're leaving. I'm coming in, and you're leaving. Yes, sir. So. <laughs> I know we're leaving it in good hands. Good hands. Good, you know. So, thank you again. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in, y'all, and remember your safety is our priority.